I have to say that, that reading was very long, and I was, as I was preparing this homily, I got kind of frustrated reading through it, because it's like, how am I going to really digest it and really make sense of all of this? But as I took a step back and walked my way slowly through the scriptures, it began to make sense a little bit. So I'm going to take us back to these last couple of weeks to kind of remind us what we've gone through so far, because these last couple of weeks, we've read a continuation of Matthew. So to be able to really understand the gospel we're reading today, we have to track back a couple of weeks and kind of refresh ourselves on what we've been reading and to see how they build on one off the other. So about three weeks ago, we began with Jesus calling his disciples at the Sea of Galilee, calling them each by name and calling them to come follow him. So as he gathered his twelve, he takes them up to the mountain and then begins to teach him. As he teaches them, the first teachings that Matthew writes down in his gospel was the Beatitudes we heard about two weeks ago. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble of heart. So if we really look at it carefully the three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, the image and the idea of the Beatitudes can be translated into blessed are those who are happy, or happy are those. To be blessed means to be. So if we look at the first beatitude, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So we can translate it and understand it as happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who are meek and humble of heart. So what are we looking at when Jesus began his teaching with the beatitudes? He wants to prompt us and ask us to reflect on what it means to follow him. Because to follow him is to be happy. But to be happy means we have to let ourselves go, empty ourselves out of our self-centeredness, our ego. And in emptying out, we can therefore then receive. And in receiving, we can allow God to enter into our lives, penetrate into the recesses of our hearts, and allows to us to radiate that to others. Which then leads us to last week's reading, where we're getting three, we're given three very distinct images. Salt, light, and the city on the hill. So salt, we understood as something that enhances and preserves our faith. But this preservation is coming from the outside. So we're meant to gain and learn about our faith, but then go out to share that with others. Light. The invitation for us to radiate the gospel, to manifest the gospel by our words, our actions, and our deeds, and to show the world through our words, our actions, and our deeds, who we believe. And the city on the hill where we draw people to Christ and bring people to Christ through our own examples, through our own way of life, through the radical change we live daily. So in doing so, we begin to reflect and understand our purpose as a disciple. So this week, we're really invited to look at how the rubber meets the road. What is the purpose? What is the meaning of being a disciple? And how does that look like 
every day and every moment of our life. We begin our gospel today with a very interesting statement by Jesus. That he's not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law was the highest thing that was governing the world. But as a teacher, when you draw disciples together, you set the law. You begin to form your disciples based off your understanding and interpretation of the law. But instead, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not here to do any of that. We're here to bring it to fulfillment, to a greater fullness of that law. And so as he does so, he reminds the reader that he is the new Moses. He comes to receive that new law, and the disciples receive it with him as they come up to the mountain and are taught by Jesus, just as Moses did when he, came, when he went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. So then, my dear brothers and sisters, the question for us that we have to begin to ask then is what is the purpose of the law? That's the question I want us to focus on. But to really be able to reflect on that, I would like to begin with this very simple question. This should be everyone, everyone should know this answer because it's the Catechism 101. It's the very basic and foundation and fundamental question of our faith. The question is, why did God create us? Why did God create us? If God is an all-knowing God, if God is an all-powerful God, and he created all the heavens and the earth, he created the angels to give praise to him day and night, why did he have to create man? Why did God create us? Very simply, to know, to love, and to serve God in this life and in the life to come. So if we live today to know, to love, and to serve God in this life and in the life to come, the purpose of the law is for us to live out that experience of heaven here on earth every day and every moment of our life. So how are we supposed to live something that is divine, something that is way beyond us, something that we've lost from generation from generation to generation? How are you and I supposed to know what heaven would be like? Or even to put it differently, how do we know what the Garden of Eden was like? We don't. So we're given this law not as something that we have to follow because God is going to punish us. When we think of law, when we think of those disciplinary actions, we think of an angry God. We think of our parents disciplining us and mad and frustrated as how poorly we performed, how poorly we've acted, or how short we've fallen from their expectation. That's not the law. And Jesus says, I'm not here to abolish it, to get rid of that law, but I'm here to fulfill it, to enhance it, to bring it to its full meaning. And that's where the explanation in our gospel reading comes from. The law says, thou shalt not kill. But then Jesus adds on to that law and says, even if you're angry with your brother, you've killed, you've committed murder. Why was that important for Jesus? 
Why did he have to enhance that more? If our purpose is to know, to love, and to serve him, why does that matter? Because all of these laws are rooted in that love. Because when we come to experience and to know God in heaven, it is filled with his love and we see him face to face. Nothing else matters because the love of God radiates in and through us so much that nothing in that world matters. And so we get to be with him for all eternity. So now when we look at the law, how are we living that love in our daily lives, in our daily interactions with each other? Because it's not simply about ending someone's life. It's not simply the fact that I've hurt someone and their life is no more. But the fact is, how have we fallen short of loving them for who they are? Because in murder, it's not just a physical death. But how can through anger, through wrath, do we destroy someone's reputation? We destroy someone's character. We destroy someone's identity. In that destruction of their identity, their character, and who they are, they themselves are wandering around this world without a purpose and mission. We have destroyed them so badly that they are just walking zombies. That's why it's so important, because we've fallen short of loving them. They have a purpose, they have a mission, they have a meaning, and they have life in Christ. But instead of living that out, instead of being able to show that, and be, instead of being able to radiate that love that Christ has for each and, one of, each and every one of us, we've destroyed and hurt our brothers and sisters. We've turned them to something less than human beings. We see that very clearly in the other ones that he explains, but same thing with adultery. What is at the root cause of all of this? Why would someone commit adultery? We think of it as just an act of infidelity. But if we look very carefully, the reason someone commits adultery is the fact that within themselves, they are lacking love. They turn to things of the world that tells them this is love. But what, what does that result in? It results in this empty void in their life and they commit the sin of adultery over and over and over because they believe it's going to bring them love. That's why they're struggling with adultery. That's the struggle within us because if we understand that God created us for love, to be loved and out of love, everything else radiates and comes and is centered around that. So when we look at this law, these laws, my dear brothers and sisters, they're not just God sitting from on high waving his finger at us saying you guys are all bad kids and you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do. But instead, he gives us a guidelines. He shows us the examples. He gives us a framework to inherit and to gain heaven. Each and every one of us is promised the kingdom of heaven. But we're reminded in scripture you have to go through the narrow gate. Just because we're all promised the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean we automatically gain and inherit the kingdom of God. We have to work at it. 
And that work is through the guidelines and through the framework of the Ten Commandments and how well we use those guideposts to enhance, to strengthen, and most importantly, radiate those things to the world. Because it shouldn't be, I should do something. I should pick up my clothes. I should help my parents do the dishes. I should help my husband or my wife do X, Y, and Z. I should. But what we should be thinking of is not what I should do, but what I ought to do. I ought to pick up my clothes because I love my parents enough to not have them come after and pick up after me. I love my spouse enough that I'm going to do these things that they have asked. I ought to do something because I want someone to know that I care for them. That's what we ought to do. And therefore the Ten Commandments help us to see, to think, and to reflect deeper on what we ought to do. So I'm going to give you a couple examples from the Ten Commandments for us to really look at. We say that we, sh we should respect our father and mother. We should. It's a choice. But now put it in the ought form. I ought to love my parents. I love them enough that I'm going to share and respect my parents. We say, thou shall not steal. Put it in the ought form. I ought to respect the love. I ought to respect the possessions of others because they themselves have worked hard for what they have and therefore we should love that hard work that they've put in for those things and respect and love them as much as they are ours. Thou shalt not steal. I ought to respect others' things. So what are we to do, my dear brothers and sisters? We are wanting to gain heaven. Who here doesn't want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. We all want to go to heaven. We all know what we have to do. But are we going to choose to do it today? Because just like the disciples, we've given, we're given the framework these last couple of weeks. We're given how we ought to do something, what we ought to do. We're told today, we're given the framework to gain the kingdom of heaven, to enter the pearly gates. But the only thing that is stopping us from getting there is to live it out, is to put it into practice. But if we listen and look at all of this, it becomes overwhelming. It becomes something almost difficult and say, Father, you know, I, I just can't. I'm a sinner, I'm imperfect. I don't know if I can do this. This is where we're all in great company, my dear brothers and sisters. We need each other. We need to work together. We need to help each other and challenge each other so that we can gain the kingdom of heaven, so that we all can enter the kingdom of heaven. But the question is, do we want to? Are we going to choose that action, to choose to work on it day in and day out, to choose to become better, or are we okay with where we're at, 
Are we okay with gambling our eternal salvation? Are we okay with not living out our purpose to know, to love, and to serve God in this life and in the life to come? Amen.